All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I like to turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 322 points or nine tenths of 1%. The SP 500 last week was up about 48 points or 1.2%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 278 points or 2.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 12.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 11.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 6.7%. Boy, I had to r- knock off some of that uh, rust from my intro. It's like I take one weekend off and <laughs> just the wheels are falling off the, the intro. What's going on? And usually you're never at a loss for words. So. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know that. You know what it I was? I was shocked. No, what it was is I have so many things going on in my mind right now of, of, of discussions I want to have on this weekend's show. I guess it's some beef that I've got. I've got so he, he's, he's, been re, he's been re-energized, ladies and gentlemen, after he was bit off for the last week. He's had, he's had, a to, had some time to, to, to read a few things, to stew about some things that you really want to talk about. Some of this week, Joe and I you know, talked a little bit about this this last week, we talked about Bitcoin, but I know you have a lot on your mind about it, Kyle. So, well, not only about Bitcoin, but there's there's some other things I want to talk about, particularly the meme stocks, because these are questions that I know all three of us get uh, on a very regular basis. And as I was recovering from my my eye surgery, you know, reading has been a little bit of a struggle, but I am dedicated and and a consummate student of of finance and Wall Street, so always, always reading. But yeah, they're just thinking about this past week while I was recovering and working and just, I guess, the stewing. You know, we've been talking about the brisket analogy here, so we're always about food. So I know that uh, our audience can't see us, but, you know, the three of us, we definitely don't miss many meals. But I, but <laughs> I was... Very big people. Just <laughs> no, well. no, no. We just we we eat very healthy. We're, we're comfortable. We're very, very corn fed. So, <laughs> but 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 this is something that that I'm constantly noticing. I know you guys see it as well in the financial entertainment press. That would be the CNBCs of the world, the Bloomberg's of the world. 
our listeners probably read about this, hear about it on the radio, and see it on television. And it's just really an issue I have with the financial entertainment press. And I want to, before we get to Bitcoin, I really want to talk about these meme stocks first. And for listeners that don't understand, that don't know about the meme stocks, it's, it's the uh, AMC stock. It's the GameStop stock. It's the cost stock. It's Blackberry. Blackberry. It's, it's the stocks that are being discussed primarily in the Wall Street Bets Reddit chat forum. And they're called meme stocks because a lot of times these folks that are in this uh, this chat forum use a lot of memes, these little, I guess, graphics to describe these stocks. And you might have heard of the terms, the diamond hands or paper hands and all these different memes that they talk about and the way they describe it. And the thing that has just got me really fired up is the cheerleading, I feel, and the complicit nature that the financial entertainment press has taken with these stocks. And I'm sorry to, to, to tell any of our listeners, and some of y'all might take exception to this, but these meme stocks, this is not investing. This is not investing. This is pure gambling, plain and simple. You can take $10,000, put it into a meme stock, or take it to Las Vegas. That's how I feel about it. I don't know, Jeff and Joe, how y'all feel about it. But I, feel, I find it extremely irresponsible by the financial entertainment press to talk about these stocks ad nauseum. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't companies. These are companies. These are publicly traded companies. But when I think about investing as a portfolio manager and being in this industry for more than 23 years, when it comes to us buying stocks in our portfolio, the level of research, analysis, fundamental analysis, technical analysis, the, the screeners that we send the stocks through, the gauntlet that stocks have to run through and make it to the other side to come into our portfolio and the level of work and dedication we have to our portfolios and our clients. When I see CNBC ad nauseum, Jim Cramer ad nauseum talking about gambles into companies that are publicly traded with little to no fundamentals. It just, it, it sticks in my crawl like no end. Well, I, I remember a comment that he'd made, Kramer made a few weeks ago about how he paid off his mortgage with whatever money he'd made in, in Coinbase or one of these other uh, cryptocurrency related stocks. And for the uneducated investor that might have been that they might have taken from that comment that it was okay to commit some money towards this investment because you might win big now and Jim you know for Jim Cramer he's got millions and millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars to invest and who knows how much he actually put into it, but he can afford to lose all this money. The concern is the person that might've heard that comment that says, well, gosh, why don't I just put all the money that I have available into this particular investment and maybe, maybe I too can pay off my mortgage. That's where there's a little bit of irresponsibility, but you know, the media is just going to say, Kyle, you know, we put in our disclaimers and we talk about, you know, here and there that it's that these types, this type of investing is, is uh, only for folks that can afford to 
potentially lose all of their investment or a substantial portion of their investment very quickly. Uh, this is no different than what was happening in the dot-com era. But let me ask you, Jeff, what you just in said terms, is in, term, in terms of the what's happening with cryptocurrency and the meme stocks, I am not making that statement for the broader market as a whole, but only in, in those, those small portions of the, invest, uh, of the investment universe. Okay, well, we're going to hold, we're going to take our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to continue to discuss this because you brought up a point, Jeff, that I wanted to add on. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, just wanted to continue our conversation. We started in our last segment about these meme stocks and really the the issue I have with the cheerleading that is taking place in the financial entertainment press for these meme stocks, and really my point of view, and I think Jeff and Joe would agree that these meme stocks are not investments. These are pure speculative bets. And Jeff, you made a comment in the last segment about the financial entertainment press, the CNBC news stations of the world with their quote unquote disclosures, you know, kind of warning investors of the potential inherent risks of going and investing into these stocks or putting money, I would say betting money in these stocks. I don't even want to say investing. But here's the funny thing, Jeff. I've never heard them say this. I've never heard Jim Cramer give the warning. You know, I've never heard someone say, well, you know, just be careful that these stocks are extremely risky and this is really not investing. It's it's purely a bet. It's a pure speculation. So make sure you're not putting all your money in it. Now, with that said, I would say the only positive that could possibly be coming from these meme stocks is getting younger potential investors interested in Wall Street. But I want them to get interested, not just in the meme stocks, I want them to get interested in what fundamentals are of a company, what technical analysis of a trading pattern of a company is, not just the bigger full theory of, hey, can we market enough to get more investors in here to buy the stock that I bought two months ago and make me a boatload of cash? Because really, hope is a bad four-letter word when it comes to Wall Street. And somebody that is putting money, betting money on these meme stocks is putting this money in with the hope that somebody else is going to come along and is going to want to pay more for that stock. As opposed to when you look at a company from a fundamental standpoint where it actually has a balance sheet, a product, it's, it's driven to grow as a company, to expand their product base, to expand their customer base, to expand their sales and research and development and technology or other products. You know, that's why we invest in stocks. You know, we invest in stocks to have ownership in these companies and their future growth and the future prospects of the research and development and, and just developing of new products that help our society and our world. 
So it just, <clears throat> I, I just find it so irresponsible. And I felt that we would be doing our listeners a disservice to give our, our feelings as portfolio managers who've been in business for more than 30 years, the combined experience the three of us have on air of more than 70 years of investing and being money managers and being in this industry of how we truly feel about some of this irresponsibility that takes place in the financial entertainment press and to be very, very careful for all the listeners to be very, very careful to understand that if you are putting money into these companies, know that it is purely a gamble. Now, someone might say, well, you know what? Investing in Wall Street, it's all just a giant casino. It's all just a giant gamble. Now, I'm not going to, that, that's absolutely not true. That is not true. Is there risk in investing? Absolutely. There is always risk, whether it's Procter & Campbell, John Deere, Walmart, there is always a risk, but there are ways that you mitigate that risk. Right. So there is a risk in investing. The even greater risk is inattentive investing. And yes. when, I, when I talk about inattentive investing, Unfortunately, I think that's a lot of what's happening in the investing world today is, you know, folks not understanding, not watching uh, what it is that they're invested in, not understanding the fees and expenses that they're paying for what, for what they're either the investments themselves or the organization or individual that might be providing investment management services. Um, and some, and, and a lot of that has to do with education. And that's a lot of what we try, we're trying to do on this show for the last 16 years is to educate. Yes, Joe. Well, and to Jeff's point, I was doing some 401k education this, this week, doing some enrollment meetings. And of course the old annuity, uh, conversation was brought up about what do we think about annuities? And are, are you really, are you really wanting to get me going, Joe? Now you use the A word. <laughs> I just want to yeah. see if we need to get the defibrillator out today. Okay. Now oh. you've really raised this blood pressure, Joe. <laughs> Somebody grab a fire extinguisher. You really, uh, you really lit me off. We're now. not going to go from Bitcoin to annuities, but we're talking about when you create your portfolio, know what you own, know what your expenses are. And I was talking about it during the break. If you're constructing a portfolio and you're a novice, say, Hey, I'd like to have some Bitcoin or maybe I'd like to, and Jeff and I talked about it last week, own GLD or gold, no more than 5%, no more than 5% in any one stock. I argue no more than 5% in any one kind of alternative investment. And I'm sorry, but Bitcoin is, is about as an alternative investment as I've ever heard in my entire life. Which That's, we are going to talk in, in later in the show about that. Another great article that just came out this past week. But, but, but to Joe, not to cut you off, but you're absolutely right. When you mentioned no more than 5%, of your investable nest egg, whether no more it's than 0% in annuity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely kidding. zero. No, you're not kidding. 0% of any annuity in any way, shape or form is $0. Never, ever buy an annuity. I mean, never period. We won't talk about that on this weekend's show, but if you'd like to learn more, definitely contact us at Davidson Capital Management. We'll give you the full dissertation why annuities are the worst thing, absolute worst thing you can put your money into. But but back to your point, Joe, about alternative investments, a very good rule of thumb, no more than 5% of your investable net worth. So if you are wanting to buy a meme stock and have some of that excitement of that better mentality, if you 
you know, if you have $10,000, you don't want to put more than 5% of that into these meme stocks, period. You know, or, or whether it's this cryptocurrency. But after we talk a little bit more about that on this weekend's show, maybe you'll decide, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and avoid that. And I don't even want to call it an asset class, that I want to avoid that like the Black Plague. So, but, but, but again, I, I just, I, I was just was really taking exception. And I'm every single morning, I'm hearing CNBC talk about these meme stocks or talking about cryptocurrencies. Every time I open up, whether it's the Wall Street Journal or Market Watch, all of these articles just back to back to back about meme stocks, about AMC, about GameStop, about Bitcoin. What else are they going to talk about? Let's talk about, about some. Ford this week. How, how about let's let, let's talk about some sound investing principles? You know, sound investing principles, some it's, of the old adages of Wall Street, not putting all of your eggs in one basket, doing your research, active management, active oversight. You know, if it's you not sexy enough. And, and that's why they, that's, that's why the they problem. talk about it. it that is the they, problem they have right to there, drive rating. They have to drive ratings and that's how they how they drive ratings. They have to they, they drive it by by continuing to talk about those asset classes and those specific companies that are ca capturing the attention of uh, you know people that have made tremendous amounts of money in short periods of time isn't uh, that propaganda isn't isn't i mean is, that's basically investing pro it's 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 investor propaganda is basically what it is it's no different than the regular media and 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 how and how jaded and skewed they are depending upon which channel you're watching whether it's fox or msnbc well just like the stories that were written after the dot-com bubble burst and there, there there was all these the stories were written laying some of the blame for the run-up in those stocks and the the furor and frenzy that it created amongst investors you know some of that was laid at the feet of the the media the financial entertainment press and more specifically, I'm sure stock when, analysts. I'm sure when when yeah sure, and I'm and I'm sure someday when the cryptocurrencies, you know, whatever the end is for those for, for that investment, whether it's government regulation, whether it's you know, the all the energy that it takes to just generate a Bitcoin, you know, there already there's already talk about about this you know being cracked down on. I mean, how much energy is being wasted? To performing the activity that creates the bitcoins themselves, the furor behind that is going to increase, and that you know that's going to have an effect on prices going forward. Well, that so, that's already hit Bitcoin. It's already starting Musk, to hit yeah. because Elon Musk saying that that Tesla is no longer taking Bitcoin as far as payment, and that's taken Bitcoin to the woodshed by more than thirty percent from its fifty-two week high because he finally realized, wow they use enough energy to do the mining of Bitcoin that it does to, to run a country in Europe for these supercomputers, which again, we're going to talk about later on in the program, but, but you're absolutely right. Now it's starting to get pressed for the, for the wrong reason, for a negative reason, for a negative reason. And it only takes a handful of dominoes to fall. And when you've got 98% of Bitcoin being controlled by 2.4% of the investors, that is an extremely dangerous position to be in as a small investor in Bitcoin. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I want to just kind of put a bow on my rant and hop off my soapbox on the meme stocks. And I'm sure there, there could be some listeners of our program that did some gambling in the meme stocks and, and things worked out extremely well and they made an exorbitant amount of money. I know Joe's stepson, they literally could write an article about him and the success he had in the meme stocks and the risks and bets he took as a young college student. And, and I applaud him for his success in that. But what is he doing now? He cashed out and is doing smarter, less risky, more diversified things, not in the meme area. So he, he finally listened to our advice and was able to cash in on his profits. And so there are definite success stories out there. And I'm sure some listeners might take exception. The whole point about me bringing this up is to, and as we've talked about for the last 16 years on the Money Wise program, it's about digging deeper, not taking things for face value and getting sucked in with the herd because there's very much a herd mentality that's being cheerleaded by the financial entertainment press and the financial print media concerning these meme stocks and, and Bitcoin, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. So, you know, just, just, just understand we're trying to teach sound fundamental principles to investing. And we feel that there's a lot of disservice that's taking place across this country for longer years than I can count when it comes to investing. One thing that I want is I made a comparison in the previous segment to what's happening with Bitcoin and the meme stocks to what was happening with the dot in the dot com era and the dot com era and all the, all those stocks had a had an effect on many other stocks you know driving the entire market higher. I just wanted to, to clarify and, and and hope our listeners understand that we don't believe that when it happens, when the meme stocks, when Bitcoin has a collapse, and we've had kind of a mini collapse here, and especially in the price of Bitcoin in the last few weeks, uh, we don't believe that the a, a substantial decline in value in Bitcoin or the meme stocks has a will have any long-lasting effects or create an environment in which it could bring down the entire uh, stock market into a into a bear market. We do not believe there's enough money in that to cause what happened. The dot-com stocks and the collapse of the dot-com stocks did bring down many other stocks and, and was and was the main cause of the 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 the, the beginning of this uh, the century's uh, bear market that started in the year 2000 and didn't end until 2002. We don't believe that that would be the case when, and I'm not, I'm not saying if, I'm saying when 
the, the value of these particular assets declined substantially. Yes, Joe. So basically you're saying if there's a, a bit bubble or a meme bubble and it bursts, it's not going to be like a tech bubble that brings no. the entire market down. No, because I, I just, it's something that goes concentrated. Money, I just don't there's enough money in it. And, yeah, and, and, and it's and it's also much more concentrated in just again the the the, yeah, the but think about it for a moment. I mean, you can't own in most four hundred one k plans. You can't own individual stocks, which mm -hmm. unless you have a self directed account and have chosen that self directed account and are trading stocks on your own. If you're just in a four hundred one k that doesn't offer a self directed option, all you're going to have is mutual funds to choose from, maybe some ETFs to choose from, but you can't choose Coinbase and you can't buy GameStock and you can't buy AMC and you, you can't buy ETFs that invest in, in, in Bitcoin. So the 401k industry and all that money that's in there, they're not driving, it's not being driven by, by, the, by the money in that part of the investment universe. It's being driven by, by the investment dollars outside of that universe. Yeah, yeah. So you know, switching gears to Bitcoin, there was a great article, and I know, Joe, you and Jeff spoke about this on last weekend's show when I wasn't on air, but I ran across another really good article that was written by Mark uh, Hulbert in Market Watch this past week, and Mark Hulbert is a newsletter writer, but he is a consistent contributor to uh, Market Watch, the article, it's an opinion piece and it's titled Bitcoin holders have no choice but to trust in China crypto miners. And I highly recommend all of our listeners to, to go and read this article on Market Watch. But there's definitely some, some high points and some hot buttons and things that we want to discuss on this weekend's show. And I just want to read some excerpts out of this article. And it starts off, which of the following two statements best describes Bitcoin mining in China? One, it represents the actions of individuals acting independently and, anonymous, and anonymously who just happen to live in China. Or two, even if the Chinese Bitcoin miners aren't explicitly part of a team, the Chinese government is aware of who they are and they could be induced or forced to collude with each other. So one of those two statements. And the reason why he's bringing this up because to date over 65% of cryptocurrency Bitcoin mining is done in China. And we were just talking about earlier in this segment, might have been the last segment, about the energy costs or the amount of energy it, it, the supercomputers use to do the Bitcoin mining. Well, if majority of it is being done in China, they even discussed this on CNBC on Friday, China's main source for power, which fossil fuel do they use? Do they use natural gas? No. What do they coal. use? They use coal. Coal. They use coal, one of the biggest polluters on planet Earth when it comes to power generation. And we know that China is the biggest contributor to global warming and to pollution in, this, in the world, you know, particularly air pollution. So right then and there, you have a problem. And as we're talking about kind of corporate governance and being aware of environmental impact that Bitcoin mining has, it already has a major black eye just from that point alone. But the other thing 
that we have to think about is if you're wanting to invest in Bitcoin, being that over 65% of it is mined in China, you are really putting a, a lot of trust into a communist regime. Now think about that. You're putting your trust that they're acting legitimately, that they're acting in good faith in a communist country. Now, we all learned this past week that President Trump wasn't just spouting conspiracy theories talking about the coronavirus or COVID-19 escaping the Wuhan lab. In fact, Facebook had to go back. Now, they haven't apologized, but they had to go back and repost all the posts of all the people around the world that were commenting that the coronavirus was potentially an accidental release from the lab in Wuhan, China. So, hmm, the Chinese weren't too honest transparent. or transparent when it came to a global pandemic that has killed millions of people around the world. So you investing in Bitcoin, you're putting a whole lot of faith and trust that the communist government isn't going to do something that could significantly impact the dollars that you're investing in cryptocurrency. Is there something you wanted to add, Joe? No, I was. you made my point. I mean, they're, they're, even the WHO right now, the, the Chinese are not going to actually let them go forward with some of their other investigations because of what we just talked about. But as investors, actually as money managers, we're big, big believers in transparency. I think that's the biggest thing is transparency. Transparency also, is key. And also transparency and regulation. We're also so big, big proponents of understanding what it is that we invest in. And we cannot explain to anyone how cryptocurrencies truly work. So if we can't explain to ourselves and, and ourselves understand how it works, I certainly can't explain it to a client. And if I can't explain it to myself and I can't explain it to a client, how much, mon how much of a client's money am I going to uh, commit to something that I don't understand? And the answer is zero zilch dollars. In Kyle's article, there's a, a, an expert that did research on this that has but more that degrees than I can shake a stick at. Well, and, and, and I want to talk about that because a lot of people talk about, well, we, we invest in, in cryptocurrency because it's a counterplay to fiat currency. Fiat currency is being a standardized currency like the U.S. Sovereign, dollar. a sovereign currency. So, a sovereign currency. Sovereign government's currency. And they talk about how, how secure it is in the blockchain. But I want to remind listeners that in May of 2018, there was $72 million of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin that just up and disappeared. And so you can't say that the anyone that says that there's it's impossible for the blockchain to be hacked. I'm sorry, that you can't say that there's a 100% fact that the blockchain can never be hacked. Because that's a challenge to the hackers and they will find a way. Well, and with $72 million worth of Bitcoin already disappearing, I mean, right. if memory serves me correct, Bitcoin was originally created with 21 million coins in existence. The last I heard that 3 million of those Bitcoins have since disappeared and nobody knows where they've gone. So now that 21 million is now turned into 18 million Bitcoins. Well, who's to say that those 18 million Bitcoins turn into two, turn into three Bitcoins? Well, let's take a commercial break. We'll finish this up in the next next segment. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I just want to wrap up this, this Bitcoin article because I know, Joe, you and Jeff talked about it uh, on last weekend's show, but I, I recommend all of our listeners, if you want to learn more, to definitely go and read the article titled Bitcoin Holders Have No Choice But to Trust in Chinese Crypto Miners, written by Mark Hulbert. It's a fantastic article. I think the long and short of it is, is that if you're wanting to invest in Bitcoin, you have to understand that you're putting a whole lot of faith and trust in in a communist country, into a communist regime where over 65% of the Bitcoin mining takes place. And if you feel that Bitcoin is the hedge against fiat currency, which is sovereign currency like the US dollar, um, and you feel that the blockchain can never and will never be hacked, um, I think you're, you're definitely potentially living in a fantasy world, uh, in my opinion. And just like we said earlier in this program, if you wanna do some alternative investing, that's fine. Just make sure that it's 5% or less of your investable net worth. And I'm sure there'll be some people that again are listening to the program that have invested in Bitcoin and made a ton of money. Hey, that's great. You know, we applaud you. There was a lot of risk that you took for those returns, but we just don't feel as traditional portfolio managers with the decades and decades of experience that these are asset classes. We have any interest in investing our money and especially have no interest in investing our clients' money in. So we'll leave it at that, but read the article. It's absolutely fantastic. Let's talk talk about portfolio. Portfolio changes. (laughs) Portfolio changes in the week just passed. I I have no energy. I I have no energy left. I've completely just blown through my energy reserves now. Okay. So we increased our asset allocation of stocks and our individually managed accounts by adding six new stocks, uh, roughly half positions and all those. So we we technically raised it by about 3%, but we also went through a rebalance in the portfolio. Uh, took, some, took some profits, added to some stocks that had declined in value. Uh, so in the end, it, it ended up raising, slightly raising our asset allocation in our uh, individually managed accounts and own individual stocks and individual bonds. We are still today, where are we now? Almost uh, 15 months since we were at maximum asset allocations to stocks. We are still not back to maximum asset allocation to stocks. And in saying that, we're approximately 70% in a moderate asset allocation portfolio. We're in and around 63, 65% currently invested in stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, which is where the majority of the clients at Davidson Capital Management are invested uh, in moderate. And I also wanted to point out the six stocks that we added half positions to. All these stocks were chosen based on stocks and industries that perform well under higher inflation and a higher interest rate environment. And speaking of interest rates, 
interesting that interest rates have been trending lower here in the last few weeks. Uh, this week just passed, uh, the 10-year Treasury yield was down, now down below 1.6% uh, yield. I remember at one time we were almost at in and around 2% yield on the 10-year Treasury. Uh, even though, you know, we got some, we got a little inflation number on Friday uh, that the Federal Reserve as uh, one of their variables in tracking inflation, and it was hotter than expected, and the market had virtually no reaction to it. There were several other uh, economic statistics this week, durable goods, pending home sales, new home sales, uh, that were all lower than expected. But, but I think that's but a, a lot of that, a lot of it's a supply. I think a lot of it is is a, is a supply issue, not really a demand issue. Yeah. Weekly jobless claims were down again to the lowest level post pandemic, a 14 month low, which bodes well for the May unemployment number that will be coming out next Friday. I think that's June the third or fourth. Uh, there'll definitely be a, a lot of folks paying attention to to that particular number, and then uh, then it's going to be time to talk about you know the next round of inflation numbers that'll be coming out in uh, in mid June. There were a few Fed governors uh, out this in the last week that weren't really saying anything much but different. But they're very much, again, they're probably, sorry to cut you off, Jeff, but their focus is continuing to be employment. Until it's employment, not. Employment, yes, until it's not. <laughs> but it, we're going to give them their 30 seconds because if we go, you know, to 45 seconds, we're going to get a phone call this weekend from dad. That's but okay. They're, they're the F word. Yeah, they're continuing <laughs> the F word. That's right. One of the seven deadlies on this program. That's right. Seven deadlies. Is, that's the seven we're talking about the Federal Reserve. Fed. The Federal Reserve. The Fed. Don't but get yes, excited, listeners. We're just continued focus on employment, not so much on inflation, continuing to use transitory inflation. It's really more about a supply bottleneck, not a demand issue. It is there. I mean, calling on some clients and doing some enrollment meetings for a lumber company this week. Yeah, they were extremely busy. You could see it. It was palatable. The other thing is I was trying to rent a car to go from San Antonio to Houston and back. And a uh, hundred dollars for a compact car for a day. Wow! <laughs> so there's some transitory inflation right there. Yeah. So well, I know we're coming up to the top of the hour, but before we get to the top of the hour, I wanted to do a couple things. Of course, I wanted to wish every listener, every fan of the Money Wise program, a happy and safe uh, Memorial Day. And again, thank every single service member and the sacrifice that they made for our country. Um, from the beginning of, of, of the founding of our country. So we really appreciate the sacrifices that they make. And happy birthday, Jeff. Made. Next next week, Jeff turns yeah, I'll be 45 years old. I'll be 40. <laughs> Wait a second. Now it's 45? No, no, no. I jokingly say you're having the 25th anniversary of your 30th birthday. Yeah, yes, yeah. The big double nickel. <laughs> the big double nickel. So we like to wish Jeff a, a happy birthday. You're only get you're only you're like a fine wine, Jeff. You only get better with age. Okay, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm like, <laughs> you'll, you'll take that. You'll take I'll, that. I'll take that compliment. Yes, I will. <laughs> but one other thing. One other thing. Again, um, wanted to mention all the listeners, and I know we mentioned it briefly. But if you'd like to learn more about our feelings about the meme stocks, whether Bitcoin, how we feel about that, and why we dislike or 
dislike, I mean, closer to the, to the H word about annuities, meaning hate annuities, definitely give us a call at 800-275-2162. We'd be happy to discuss that with you. And with that, we're coming up to the top of our break. So for listeners of Money Wise in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to catch past Money Wise programs, you can always go to our website at davidsoncap.com. And for listeners of Money Wise and Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour and going into more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website again at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And there was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended, and just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although... I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too in long May. ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas Morning Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article. If I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would 
I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%. And the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in the long term past might now expect be expected to return 6% meaning that a 30 year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market but here's you know here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980, you're probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then inflate, the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20% in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time, and I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then we did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today so it was not the golden age of retirement retirement is retirement you are only going to retire once you can't go back and say hey i wish i'd have retired 
just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. Exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, wow." I mean, I'd be on easy street. Wow, exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors 30 years ago. Sure, 10-year treasuries were paying 12, 13, you know, percent, 14 percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and, again, talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the eighteen percent car loan? Yeah, exactly. I had on an Eighty-two citation. Exactly. Well, you know, double digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know what? What was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the it's a true statement today, as it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, eight, That's right. the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was, going, benefit, yeah. you got nothing, nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401K was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401K that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401K with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds – their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, people my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get, though, Dad, now with TRS? They can do external saving through payroll deductions into 403Bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement... Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional pension. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott There's Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a just survival rate. Right? You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be... Extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB and J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, PB and J. Sorry, you had me going there. How'd you caught on the PB and J? Trying to figure out what. what yeah, you're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is, and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to assu- survive. I, I can assure there you of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able to do that. Be able to do that. And I'm, not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not- not always. You can't do that. Not even 100% stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying yeah. to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be 100% stock. And, and again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous if now you've taken yourself out of the workforce. And so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces a survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he, he's, not real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time. It's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because... Because dividend yields and interest rates, market returns yeah, the dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career and, there, or you lose your retirements, and, where today... You can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401k. So the 401k has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million-dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security. And for that, you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401k, it's it's great and it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important and over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves yeah. because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6, 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not, but 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over the investments. Has control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Basin Company. If you could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm -hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything because all those years all you those worked, years I worked were lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know again you know there was a point I was going to make and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment now. We're well, approaching 40. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not it's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's not it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill, but you know, again, when it when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we we dealt with I know what for I was six or say. seven years now this year. All of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You've thought of it. Uh, it. It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the '80s: access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to, to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to do, go out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a well, treasure trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you could 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because ten analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating kind of commissions we were generating yeah so did we have inside information no but we had information first we were one of the original calls mm-hmm. they called you guys first we with got information. because because we generated commissions for them yeah well and that's when and, you were managing pension assets yes, so and yes. trust assets so a- again with today's technology there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's t- take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to, to working 9 to 5. And and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, and again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term. Because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s, average is around 4%. Is around 4%, and right now we're right at 2, one, between 1.8 and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seem to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make sure. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of your age. Because uh, of your age. Because of my age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. You know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese. Rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are very vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments are packaged. The only thing that's the same today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product, not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio, as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. You, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50, could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and and. And again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.